Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. I'm Melissa Studdard, and I'd like to welcome you to Teferit Talk, the Blog Talk Radio show for Teferit, a journal of spiritual literature, where our goal is to promote peace in the individual and in the world through writing. We support this goal by interviewing new and established writers and religious and spiritual leaders. In addition to listening today, you're invited to join our online community at www.tiferetjournal.com. That's www.tiferetjournal.com, where you can read and post writings, interact with other members, and subscribe to the journal. We'd also like to let you know that our blog talk chat room is currently open if you would like to chat with other listeners or suggest questions. Our interview tonight is with architect, author, lecturer, and filmmaker Anthony Lawler. Lawler is the author of the blog Dwelling Here Now and the books The Temple in the House, A Home for the Soul, and the newly released Two as One, co-authored with Sherry Loveler. Jean Houston has stated that the temple in the house is a living temple in which the soul of architecture and the architecture of soul are brilliantly evoked. The leader is magically led through patterns and proportions that transform the ordinary house into a charged place of spirit. Anthony, how are you doing tonight? Great, Melissa. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, it's fabulous to have you here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with a question since we have 30 minutes. And um, the first thing I wanted to say is that um, it's clear to me from reading your books that you're interested in and knowledgeable about a wide variety of topics, uh, mythology, world religion, nature, philosophy, just so much stuff. And um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how these different interests have coalesced into your current holistic practice of architecture. Well, it was interesting. When I wrote... Uh, before I wrote this book, The Temple in the House You're Talking About, which was in the early 90s, I started to write a book, I think it was entitled Your Personal Style. I got about halfway through the book and I realized this isn't what I'm here to write about. And I said, okay, what, what am I interested in? And I said consciousness, architecture, nature, mythology. And I realized I'd been gathering... Um, information for years and over uh, it was over Thanksgiving weekend I actually outlined the entire book because I'd been gathering information so for many years I've been interested in meditation uh, how consciousness affects form the relationship between spirit and matter uh, all these things and all their manifestations um, have always interested me Oh, well, that, so that's amazing. You did that over Thanksgiving weekend. You outlined the entire book. <laughs> well, I'd been preparing without knowing it for years. I just was right. honest with myself. I said, what are you really interested in? What do you really do? And I realized it was all there. Okay. So um, you mentioned meditation, and um, I'm wondering, you know, of course that piques my interest um, in particular, how that has impacted your practice of architecture. Well, in a huge way. Um, most approaches to architecture deal with outer form and style and appearance. And even before I started studying architecture. I was interested in meditation. I traveled to India, traveled around nine months, uh, 
And when I started studying architecture, I saw that the real power of it for me was how those outer physical forms uh, relate to uh, the inner uh, spiritual dimension of consciousness and both how form affects our experience in the world and how our consciousness shapes form. And I realized that every designed object, whether it's a toothpick, a chair, or a city, all started out as a thought, as a stirring in consciousness that was then combined with the materials of nature to form that object. So, for instance, somebody has a desire to sit. So they ha the desire is there first, and then they conjure the idea of a chair. So they go find wood or metal or some other material like that, and it's the integration of that imagination with the material objects that creates the form. And so then I realized that every form in our human physical environment is an expression of our imagination, and we literally dwell within our human imagination. And from the moment we're born, we're um, in designed form. So we're surrounded by form that has been shaped by consciousness. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I was thinking as you were saying that, that um, one of the things your work um, sort of promoted to me was a different way of being relation, in relation to the materials of the earth. And um, you're you know, talking about the uh, connection between consciousness and the materials. Um, could you talk a little bit about the importance of the kinds of materials used in design? Yes. Um, nature is not a static object. It's a living, breathing uh, entity, and it has an intelligence, too. So the qualities of wood are different than the qualities of stone, which are different than the qualities of glass or some other material. So when we're designing, we're really having a dialogue with, with the material. So a really great cabinet maker, for instance, or furniture maker, engages that dialogue with the wood and uh, then creates a chair or a table or cabinets that that embody what that material is capable of. And I always loved this uh, little dialogue. There was an architect named Louis Kahn who was a great 20th century architect. And he would say, you ask a brick, what do you like brick? And he says, brick would say, I like an arch, because you put bricks together to make an arch. And he said, well, what if you say to brick, I can span between those two columns with a um, with a concrete beam. What do you think of that brick? And he said, brick would say, I like an arch. Because of the arch brings out uh, what brick can do. It takes it out of a, just a lump of matter and, sh and shows how it can express this beautiful shape of the arch. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. Um, I wanted to ask a question about your other book, A Home for the Soul. 
um, in that you identify some archetypal symbols for the functions of various rooms in the home. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of these and how incorporating them into the core can enhance soulful living. Well, it's interesting. When designing homes for people, 90% of it does not have to do with just the function of the home, the function being how big the rooms are, where you place clothes in the closet. Most of it has to do with our beliefs about what a home is. So people spend all kinds of money designing a kitchen that is more than just the function of just heating food and and keeping it cool in the refrigerator. There's that quality of how do you, uh, of that sense of the hearth, of of home Mm -hmm. and nourishment and all that. So every room in the house is like that. And so in A Home for the Soul, I talk about making every room a little space for honoring the different aspects of the human mind-body connection so that the bathroom is not just a place to unconsciously stumble into in the morning and take a shower, but it's a place to honor the body and the care of the body and the... um, uh, Dining area, dining area is a place to honor that aspect of coming together for a meal and celebrating not just daily nourishment, but um, holidays and things like that. And every facet of the house, even the doorways between rooms, can be used as a means to honor the activities that are taking place and the experience of being in that house. Yeah, I can definitely hear your meditation experience coming out in that answer. That's amazing. It's just being more mindful um, in a lot of ways. Um, Can you um, talk about maybe just a couple of specific ways that people could do that? I know you just have so many excellent examples in your book, and I know we don't have time to go into all of them, but I'm just thinking of some of the specific things you said about just like, um, you know, putting seashells in the bathroom and that kind of thing to sort of draw nature in as well. Um, Yes. I mean, one thing is the kitchen, in a way, you could say, is almost like an alchemical laboratory where you're taking the, the, the basic elements of fire and water and earth and air and combining them to transform these substances of food into nourishing meals. So one way to do this is to think of your kitchen stove almost as a little altar where you're cooking. And so to set it up with the utensils around it as this opportunity to engage in the mindful act of cooking. And the whole kitchen, doing it like that, uh, so that the, the, the sink is a place for cleansing and cleaning, uh, and, and the cutting area is a place for transformation. And to think of colors and materials and shapes that will support those different activities. So instead of just thinking of one color for the whole kitchen, you could have a cooling, soothing color, blues and greens around the, the sink, uh, around the stove, more fiery colors and materials. And to just think, it's to step back at, from your 
commonly held beliefs about the kitchen and say, okay, what is this kitchen really to me? Also memories from your childhood or from movies that you've seen or books that you've read. There's all these wonderful images that go for every room in the house, whether it's the bedroom, the family room around a fireplace, your home office, your home meditation room, to make these places of your imagination and places that really nurture your soul, um, Mm -hmm. not just places to put your stuff. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And um, something that you just briefly touched on in the first part of that answer um, that I might like to have you elaborate on a little bit more is um, the importance of what you call the between spaces and the passageways. Um, Certainly, I think a lot of people have never really thought about them very much before, and that you talk in your books about how to um, honor the importance of these passages with design. And then I was wondering if you could talk about that just briefly. I mean, think of the front door to your house or your apartment. You know, every day it's it's a threshold that you either go from the sanctuary of your home out into the world or you return from the world to your home. So this is a very monumental moment in your day, and you can either unconsciously just stumble across it or treat it in a way that um, enhances it and honors it. Now, people traditionally do this with a welcome mat or something like that, but think of all the experiences that happen at the front door. You know, the, your first kiss right. might have been at a front door. Uh, going off to college, your first day at school, all these memories. Now, one of the things uh, traditionally that entrances have had, every threshold we cross, there's always some desire or hope, and then there's always some fear. You know, mm-hmm. what will happen Across that threshold. So there's those twin pillars of hope and fear that border the, the gateway to a house. So one way of decorating or shaping a house is to embody those, um, those experiences in your own way. So traditionally, so for instance, at the entry to Notre Dame Cathedral, there's an arch, uh, and on one side of the arch, there's hope, which there are all these saints, and on the other side, uh, there are all these devils, and, you know, kind of to exhibit fear. They actually look like they're mm-hmm. having much more fun than the saints are on the other <laughs> side. Why is that always the case? <laughs> but, that, but the idea was to show this duality and that by crossing that threshold, moving between those two opposites, you'd move into the unity of the sacred beyond that experience. So to take that to your home, what is it that you hope for in, in your home and your life and for your family and for yourself? And what is it that you fear that if you faced that and went beyond it, you would um, uh, feel more empowered by moving through that? And what, even if it's just a color, you know, having mm-hmm. colors of hope on one side and the color of something more uh, trepidation on the other side, um, to uh, to embody that experience for yourself. 
Well, I know um, one of the things you mentioned that really stood out to me is the idea of just um, painting a a door frame in your home (laughs) a different color to just mark um, the the passage, you know, and sort of call attention to it of crossing from one room into the next. And it's uh, certainly something I had never thought about before, but, you know, what an amazing idea um, that is. Okay, I wanted to ask you a question about um, your most recent blog, Healing Space, New Architecture for an Emerging Culture Design. And um, you present a design in there that just completely takes my breath away. I I posted it on the Teferit site earlier, if anybody wants to go to Teferit on Facebook, or um, it's also at your Dwelling Here Now blog spot, um, if anybody wants to look that up right now. But um, I know others have said that they've just felt just from looking at the design, and I have to say I had a very similar experience. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the design and also, uh, you know, if you have ideas for other similar designs for the future. I created that design because I wanted to show a project um, that was developed from this inner approach out outward that the architectural form reflected the, I'll call it the mythic experience of going through, in this case, healing. So what I started out with before I thought about a building or anything, I thought, what is the process of healing? And, um, and so I thought, okay, the first phase is shedding, where you're uh, just like a snake moving out of its old skin, it's kind of a breakdown phase, you know, whether you, you feel wounded, whether it's emotional or physical healing. There's some time when you have to just let everything go. Mm-hmm. So then so I said, all right, what kind of place would allow that to happen? And so I said, okay, let's make a place underground. The first room in this structure, let's make it underground, almost like a cave, like a womb-like experience where you could go... Mm-hmm. Into there, into that room, and just totally let go. You could sleep for days. You could cry. There wow, was, uh, that sounds heavenly. <laughs> there's a pool, and, yeah, because we've all experienced those times in life where we just want a place where we can let the world go and shed everything yeah. and healing process. Then I had a middle level, at ground level, that was the, what I thought of as the second phase of the healing process, which was a creative phase. Now, after you've shed all the stuff and gotten out of the, the, that you want to let go of, then there's that creative energy that starts to heal. And so I had a place for reading and drawing, writing, doing creative kinds of exploration, journaling, uh, just exploring who you are after you've shed uh, that wounding. And then the third phase of healing I thought of as connecting that new creative phase with the world. So I put a roof deck that had uh, instruments that you would connect, you would look at the path of the sun, the path of the moon, that you would create, you would connect to the greater uh, patterns and renewing processes of nature. So that as you, through this structure, You'd have this shedding, this recreative phase, and this reconnection with the world phase. And so I started, I thought of that first, and then I, then I started 
design the structure, and it all came together around that. Okay. And I, I just want to emphasize to anyone who's listening that the design just is absolutely stunning. I mean, there's no way to really convey it by talking about it, so I really encourage people to go to the blog, the blog and look at that. I mean, I was completely blown away by it. It's so beautiful. Well, thank you. Well, thank yeah, you. One thing I'll really about that is one reason I created the project and came at it from the way I described was so many times we just re repeat old structures and become unconscious and go into a kind of numbness. So I wanted to create a structure that kind of woke you up when you saw it, mm -hmm. that it was something different than what you see every day, but at the same time felt like coming home. So that was also part of the whole design. Yeah, I think it absolutely does that. And it, it also, to me, just feels so connected to the natural surroundings. I mean, it's not, I mean, it, it's what you talk about when you talk in your books about living architecture. It is, um, you know, part of its surroundings, you know. Um, so it's really beautiful. Do you have any other um, designs like that, or is that the, the first one? Um, I have others. In that project? I, yeah, I have, I have some others. Uh, but I haven't had the chance to draw them up. So, but that's my plan is to uh, draw some others up and put them out there for people to experience. Yeah, oh, great. Um, I was wondering also if you could talk a little bit about seed imaging. You, you talk about that in the temple in the house, and um, it's such a wonderful concept. Um, and I was wondering if you could just, you know, tell people how to do that and, of course, I want to mention that in the book there's actually a whole um, like kind of Q&A for you to do a creative visualization on that. And uh, actually, I was wondering, do you have any plans to make that into a, a CD or something that people can buy that they can listen to? <laughs> I would get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have plans. So, yes, I'm working on another book now, and um, with that, my plan is to, once I get that in the pipeline, to uh, start to do uh, CDs and and little videos and, and things like that, um, because right. architecture is visual, it really, that's another advantage of connecting the whole consciousness spiritual dimension to architecture, is that you can see it in three dimensions. It's not just talking about abstract concepts, but you can connect those elusive experiences in consciousness with a tangible form of design. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I noticed in your film you did that. I, just, I was really amazed by how the images sort of went from one into the other um, with this kind of transition that really um, called out the connections between the images, and I thought that was really beautiful. <laughs> Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's so, about, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh I was just going to say, going back to the, the seed imaging thing, I kind of distracted you on that one. So <laughs> I was wondering if we could go back to that and you could kind of explain what that is and, and how people can do that a little bit. Well, one thing I noticed in working with people to design their houses and other structures is what they usually lacked was some kind of common reference point 
that they could relate all aspects of the design to. And what, if they had that, then they would the design would be more integrated. You know, usually when people start a design, they cut out of a home, for example, they cut out a bunch of pictures, and they have a lot of a collection of a lot of nice parts. But one of the aspects that's important is to have this integrated, holistic quality. So I came up with this idea of what I call a seed concept, which you could relate every uh, choice in a design process to. So whether it's the shape of the roof or the placement of the kitchen or the, the, the particular doorknob or the color of a wall, you'd have some reference point. And so the seed concept is kind of the, the essence, essential feeling um, of the design. And so how I work with people to get to that is it's a kind of meditative process where I'll have them sit quietly and then um, just settle down, become aware of their breathing, and become aware of that essence of feeling in their heart. Mm-hmm. And then... and and. Then through a process that I go through, I'll have them do a little sketch or something that uh, expresses the form of that. So, for instance, I show one um, seed concept in the book that it's kind of, if you have a point and, and you had rays radiating in one direction, like a fan out towards this. This came from a project I did with some people. So that what resulted was the house, you entered the house and everything was radiating like a fan from that central point of the door. So it related to that seed concept. And then all the aspects of the design related back to that. So the idea was to have a a simple form that you can relate um, all the design decisions to. Now this could be anything. It could be a color. It could Mm -hmm. be the shape. It should could be the shape of a leaf on the site. It could be a pattern that calls to you, like a, a hexagon or an octagon or, or some other shape. Uh, it could be anything. It could be the shape of your hand or the human body or something that resonates with you. And if you look around your house, most people have some objects or um, patterns or something that they they have a connection with. And they, it might not, you might not even have a reason for having that connection, but you feel this deep connection with that. And so mm-hmm. it speaks something deep in your soul. So when you're making the decisions as to what doorknob you want and, and what dishwasher you want and practical things like that, if you relate it back to the seed concept form, then everything will have that, common thread that ties it all together. Okay, thank you. I'm definitely looking forward to the CD on that one. (laughs) Um, That'll be great. Um, Okay, I wanted to go back to the film, and um, in The Living Temple, you talk about how global communication has expanded our awareness to show that uh, what were once seemingly disparate structures and belief systems are now more clearly perceived as multiple doorways to the same living temple 
of shared human experience. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that idea a little bit and maybe talk about how your travels helped you to develop this perception. Yes. About seven years ago, I took a year and a half off, and I uh, just, I traveled to sacred places um, in many places in the world. And the first thing that struck me was even though the cultures were different, the times these structures were built were very different, they all had a common theme, which was the human experience. What is it that we're doing here? They all dealt with these questions of who am I? Mm -hmm. Why am I here? Where am I going? What is this place, this mystery of living in this world? And for thousands of years, in different regions of the world, different cultures, they were isolated. They didn't know that while someone was expressing this same theme in a temple in India, that someone in uh, France was expressing the same theme in a Gothic cathedral. So what I, what I saw as I was traveling around was with the global communication we have now, that there really is a global consciousness developing and a global culture, and that all of a sudden all these different temples seemed like so many doorways to one temple, which was this global living temple. Wow. So that, that uh, and it's an amazing time that we're in. And so the whole sense of what a sacred place is, I think, is changing too. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. Um, and the film just really demonstrates that so beautifully. Um, okay, so we're actually almost out of time, and um, I was wondering if you have anything that you would like to announce, if you have any um, workshops coming up or books coming out or just you know anything that you'd like to tell the listeners about before we go. Um, well, I have a workshop in October, um, in Three Rivers, uh, California, which is in the near Yosemite, beautiful area. I'm going to be giving a workshop there at, on, um, I think it's the 29th of October. And then the week before that, I'm going to be speaking at a conference of healing and imagination and architecture uh, in Santa Barbara at the Pacifica Institute. Uh, I have the... Uh, one on on my site, but just go to my uh, blog at um, Dwelling Here Now, blogspot.com, um, and uh, you can connect with all these different things I'm doing. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it was wonderful to hear all of your answers and your great advice and your view of things is just so um, unique to me. And uh, really your books change the way I, I look at things, and I'm definitely going to be making some changes in my own home. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, well, it's great thanks. talking to you, and I you really too. appreciate it. Okay, you too. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. Okay, so I'd just like to thank those of you who are listening in tonight and those of you listening after the fact as well. Our next interview will be with author, lecturer, and retired MD, Bernie Siegel, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on March 18th. 
As well, we're currently accepting submissions for Tiferet's 2011 writing contest in the categories of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Prizes of $500 apiece will be awarded in each category. For more information or to enter the contest, please visit our website at www.teferitjournal.com. A year subscription to Teferit is $18 and includes six issues, two print and four digital. The site is also a great place for readers and listeners to post their own poetry since our editors feature one new poem each day from those who post. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. We hope you'll join us again in March.